0: Speaking from the Black Panthers, the chairman and second-in-command to Huey Newton, Bobby Seale.
1: The seven indicted um, anti-war, anti-draft demonstrators are downtown at 12th and Fallon in the same jail with our Minister of Defense, Huey P. Newton. Now. We are going to appeal the same grand, because of the same grand jury that indicted Huey within a matter of 22 minutes without even covering the evidence, the so-called evidence that's supposed to be placed against Huey, the ice, mad dog grand jury that we're referring to. We're appealing to you to support the fact that we don't need ice dog, man ju- mad dog, jurors. We're appealing to you to support the fact that we don't need racist policemen who shot Huey, and we don't need racist policemen who brutalized the heads of you. We're in fact putting this position that we've taken against the racist policemen who brutalized us in our black in our communities, and bringing it to the level where it is that when Huey P. Newton said there were only three kinds of power a level where a group of people control the economic situation or a level of power where a group of people have an ownership of land that the third level of power commonly referred to as military power and we refer to as self-defense power with the gun is coming to reality we're saying that black people who protested police brutality and many of you who thought we were jiving, who thought we didn't know what we were talking about, because many black people in the community probably couldn't answer your questions articulately, that you are experiencing the same thing, that when you go down in front of the anti-draft, and when you go over and you demonstrate against Dean Russ, that those pig cops will come down and brutalize your heads, just like they are brutalize the heads of black people in the black communities. We're saying now that you can draw a direct relationship that's for real and that's not abstract anymore. That you don't have to abstract what police brutality is like when a club is there to crush your skull. That you don't have to abstract what bro- police brutality is like when there's a vicious service revolver there to tear your flesh. That you can see, in fact, That the real power of the power structure and maintaining its racist regime is manifested in its occupying troops, is manifested in its police department with guns and force. That in fact, black people, the Black Panther Party for Self-Defense, are educating black people to the position continually that we will use arms to defend ourselves. That in fact, Brother Huey P. Newton, who's now being confined downtown, chained in the same jail with the same anti-demonstrators, anti-draft demonstrators, that in fact, this draws something very significant that we're going to have to try and work together on. Now, some people are probably wondering, how in the hell is it that what they will call the most militant group in the country can come along and tell white people that you and I are going to go down to the courthouse today at 2 o'clock at, 12th and, Fallon in Oak, at Oak, 12th and Fallon in Oakland. And we're going to march around the courthouse and demonstrate the fact that we want Huey P. Newton set free and that you want the anti-draft demonstrators also set free. the mass the masses of people who stand against the power structure of oakland j frank coakley who first started his career out as a naval attorney in the navy he was an attorney a ship blew up where 50 black men were working on this ship there were some more goods to be loaded off the ship But the 50 black men said, we don't want to go back on the ship because we think that it's very dangerous. And these 50 black men, merchant marines, were charged with mutiny. And J. Frank Coakley started his career by prosecuting these black men and getting as much as 50 years in prison for these black men. I am saying that J. Frank Coakley is a racist dog. I am saying that this same racist dog is out to do the same thing to the anti-draft demonstrators. I'm saying that it's necessary for us to realize that this is a real situation. I'm not gonna argue black or white, I don't do that no more. In other words, I stopped being a racist a long time ago. You haven't stopped being racist though. But I'm gonna show you something. There's a lot of people running around and I can't blame them. And my culture, I feel my culture is very beautiful. But a lot of us are taking our culture a little too far. Because when Huey and I decided we were going to get down to the real nitty gritty, we decided also that we weren't going to stoop to the level of a Ku Klux Klansman and hate a person just because of the color of their skin. This is very important, because this is where racism starts. This is where racism is manifested. I am saying that, in fact, we are not concerned with the color of your skins. We are concerned with the oppression that black people are subjected to. The indecent housing, the gross unemployment, the way we railroaded through the courts, the way we drafted off into the military service, the way black people are miseducated in the schools and the school systems. These are the things. And the racist people in the black community. And when you start dealing with something like that by picking up the gun, you haven't got time to hate a person because of the color of their skin. You hate what the racists will do to you. I'm saying that a black cop will beat our heads just like a white cop will. I am saying that a white cop will beat white people's heads just like white cops will beat black people's heads. I am saying that if you go down here today, and it ain't gonna be no jive, we don't take no jive, but I am saying that you are taking a position against the racist regime, that in fact the power structure is what maintains the racism that exists in this country. When you start looking at Watts, 1,300 cops before the watch riot, and now there are 6,000 cops in Los Angeles? When you look at Oakland, three years ago there were only 350 cops, and now there are over 1,000 cops, and they're there to patrol black people and whoop the heads of anti-demonstrators? When you look at San Francisco and there were only 550 cops and there are over 1,200 now to whoop the heads of black people and whoop the heads of anti-demonstrators, when you look all across this country and you see the doubling, the tripling and the core tripling of police forces throughout these cities and the buildup of troops, For Vietnam and the rest of the world and the National Guardsmen, this is all to suppress what the people want to stop in the racist regime. This is all to beat our heads, to beat us to the ground and make us submit. The Black Panther Party for Self-Defense refuses to submit. We're not going to submit. We're asking you to come down today at two o'clock, leaving this rally when it's over and come to Fallon and Oak downtown and let us demonstrate against the racist power structure of Oakland. Thank you.
0: Okay. There's going to be a carpool leaving Bancroft Telegraph at one o'clock. One o'clock? One o'clock to go to that demonstration on behalf of Huey Newton and the seven anti-draft leaders. Also, there are some free Huey buttons available. Available where? You got them? They're right over here if you want free Huey uh, buttons. There's an announcement. Yeah, that well-known philanthropic organization, Dow Chemical, is returning to our campus on Monday to recruit... And uh, SDS was considering what we ought to do about that. We decided it wouldn't do any good to throw the man off campus since most of the other corporations that come here are just as bad. So we decided to picket Sproul Hall to protest the fact that the university is is, uh, welcoming Dow to the Berkeley Stockyards and training students to go into that corporate meat grinder. So if you'd like to join us, we're going to start our picket line at, at noon Monday here on the steps. Thank you. I'd like to present an alumna of the university, and Joshua's mother, Bettina Apdecker. Uh,
2: Thank you very much.
3: I was going to tell
2: you that I have an airtight alibi for my whereabouts during uh, the time this alleged conspiracy took place. And that is that my alibi is that I gave birth on October 19th and couldn't possibly, uh, well, that's just one of those things, you know. I want to say that uh, against, we've spoken out before against repression, against other people, different parts of the world, different parts of this country, and now finally it's struck home. That is, we're now confronted with people that were students, people in the movement right in the Bay Area, who are now uh, facing very long prison sentences for having done what thousands of us have done, and that is to resist and protest this war and this draft. I read in the uh, Oakland Tribune, it's the only paper that's publishing these days, uh, from the capitalist press, that uh, Coakley had an explanation for why he sentenced these, uh, picked out these particular people. He said there were hundreds and thousands of people who protested against the war and against the draft, but he singled out the most radical and the most militant to prosecute. I think Coakley was unusually honest in what he said, and that in fact what they're trying to do is take those people that they think are least popular and put them in jail and thereby try to strike out at the entire movement and silence it. Well, I think we should let them know that for us, politics is not a popularity game and when they take any of us, they're going to have to take all of us and we'll defend anybody and everybody in this movement that's protesting or resisting the draft of the war. We said that we could not, we said a long time ago, that we could not continue to wage this kind of aggressive and racist war without it taking out domestic consequences on the United States. We expected this repression. We should have respected it. And we should, we should also respect it. That is, we're gonna have to deal with it, but we should have expected it. What we have to do and what I wanna emphasize today is to remain calm in the face of the repression and to think before we act primarily because this administration is desperate and is frightened and is acting in this way out of desperation and fright and we have them up against the wall. They cannot stop this opposition to the war except by trying to place everybody in jail. Well, we accept the challenge. We accept the challenge. Let them try to place everybody in jail. But let's not panic in the face of this repression. Simply unite, be calm, and every action is taken. Let it be carefully planned. Let its consequences be understood. And let us move forward and just keep pushing them back into the wall. We've seen a whole series of events which have taken place. The ghettos have become occupied territories in the United States. And I want to say that this peace movement in July should have called for the immediate withdrawal of troops from Newark and Detroit. And it failed to do that and it should have done that, just as it calls for the immediate withdrawal of troops from Vietnam. And in the future, in the future we have to understand that this war is racist, that it's aggressive, and that its consequences both are foreign and have domestic consequences. And that for a long time, the ghetto communities in this country have borne the brunt of the assault on the democratic rights of all of us. And it's now perhaps first coming home to us that to defend the rights in the ghetto is to defend our own rights and vice versa. We have the case of Huey Newton. You have the case of Leroy Jones. Leroy Jones was sentenced to three... Admitted in court that the severity of sentence was due to the fact that the judge did not like a poem that Leroy Jones had written. Now, if you read the poem, you might understand why the judge didn't like it. But that's no reason to sentence a man to three years in jail. We also have the Spock case, the Raskin case, the Coffin case that had just come up. I want to mention to you that they picked the untouchables in trying to cite these people. Reverend Coffin... And I don't say this to attack him, I say it to make a point at the moment. Reverend Coffin worked for the CIA for three years during the Korean War. Now, he has since changed his politics, but that's where he comes from. And Marcus Raskin was a special assistant on the White House staff to John F. Kennedy. That's where he comes from. I suggest, and of course, uh, Dr. Spock, we all know about, and I'm reading his book every day these days. Now the point here is that I think that they picked Spock and Raskin and Coffin for the same reason this government picked Alger Hiss in another era. To pick the untouchable, to pick that those people that would make it impossible if, 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 if not defended and if they were sentenced and found guilty would crush the entire movement. So I would just point out... That we should not take lightly the prosecution against Spock and Coffin and Raskin and so forth and recognize that the point of that is by silencing them to silence the nation. And I don't think they will succeed. Now we come to this question of the so-called conspiracy. we got seven people charged with conspiracy. I've been told by different lawyers that conspiracy does not necessarily have any... A conspiracy is merely an agreement between two or more people to violate the laws of a state or of Alameda County. So the question of secrecy doesn't enter in here. Well, I don't think anybody conspired to violate laws. They conspired, I conspired to end this war, and to b- abolish the draft. That's what we conspired to do. And if that's illegal, then damn it to hell. We got a right to do it. All we have to do is change those laws. If there was ever a conspiracy going on, a real conspiracy, it's a conspiracy in Oakland to silence the peace movement and the anti-draft movement in this country. It's a conspiracy in Oakland to to propagate mass police violence against people protesting the war. It's the conspiracy in Washington, and it's some conspiracy of the CIA and the Pentagon and this Johnson administration to place that CIA ship in Korean waters and then now start talking about nuclear war. That's the conspiracy. That's where it is. And those are the people who are betraying the American dream, people who are betraying the American dream, and, in my opinion, are increasingly guilty of treason. That's where it's at. I want to say that we have a job to do in this area, which is that charges of conspiracy like this have been used against the movement for years. They've been used against the labor movement. They've been used against the civil rights movement. Anytime they can't get a conviction for anything else, they try to wrap you for conspiracy. If they succeed in these prosecutions, it will mean that here and throughout the nation it will be impossible to organize any kind of demonstration on any issue because any time you organize any kind of demonstration some violations of law can take place and you will be accused of conspiracy that's the point of picking conspiracy therefore not only do we have the possibility of uniting the entire anti-war movement and anti-draft movement in the defense of these people we have the opportunity to unite everyone who gives a hoot na holla about peace and about their own democratic rights, to unite and defend these people on the grounds that they had a right to organize and advocate resistance to the draft. And that's something that we can do in this case and that we're going to have to do and we're going to be able to successfully defend them. And I would say that we must succeed, we must succeed in this defense effort. Now, I've been told that uh, somebody wanted me to lead into a collection pitch to ask you for money. Say that the people are still in jail. We have to bail them out. They have to be available to speak all over the place in their own defense. We need money to conduct a defense for legal work and everything. And the whole, Bravo. a great part of the whole movement rests on whether or not we're successful here in Berkeley in being able to defend these youth say one last thing which is that back there in 1936 when Madrid had been bombed a Spanish poet Miguel Unamuno said something which I think is very appropriate today and I say it to you he said there is a time when to be silent is to lie now is such a time, thank you
0: Managing Editor of Ramparts Magazine, Bob Shear.
4: Uh, I don't really understand the mood of this rally too much. I understand it less now. I mean, it seems to be something obscene or bizarre about seven kids being in jail for trying to stop the war and there's music going on, and the noise, and this carnival atmosphere. And my fear about the next few years in America is that people are gonna be picked off, put in jail for long periods of time. Attempts to made to crush the movement, and they're gonna be very serious attempts. And most people in this society, even most people who think that they're in opposition, will be able to go about their normal lives, maybe sign a few petitions. I think the style of repression is a very modern one. It's very selective, it's very efficient. It's aimed at intimidating people and shutting them up and allowing them the illusion of freedom. So you have your great hippie revolt. That's a fantastic thing. You see, we're all liberated. And we can go down there and enjoy ourselves on the other plaza. Or we can even have a little bit of free speech as long as it doesn't intrude on the society at all. And when it begins to intrude, then it's gonna be crushed. And it's gonna be crushed brutally. And it's gonna be crushed in the same style as the revolution of Vietnam or Cuba is going to be crushed. Because what we're talking about in Vietnam, or here, is really a war of example. And what our society is saying to us are things they will not tolerate abroad or at home. And what our society is saying to us in Vietnam and in the United States is that we are going to make an example of those people who attempt to challenge our power. And we now know, particularly because of the events of the last few weeks, that the war in Vietnam is clearly a war of example aimed at crushing revolutions. Once the Hanoi government said that it would negotiate if there was a halt in the bombing, Once it gave its unconditional commitment to talks, and everyone knows that commitment was made, and the administration continued its bombing, we knew that this was a war to the finish. This is a war for total victory, to establish the military supremacy of the United States government, and to teach a lesson to people in the world that they cannot make the revolutions of their choice, that the only kind of peace that will be tolerated is the Roman peace. And that in this society, the only kind of freedom that we will have is the freedom of the Roman circus, of the carnival. And those people in this society who attempt to intrude, to prevent that war machine from functioning, are gonna be crushed, and crushed quite brutally. So the war of example in Vietnam has been brought home. And I think we should understand that and understand that very clearly. And I think there's something interesting about the fact that we used to think of Coakley as a right-winger. But what's the difference between Coakley's indictments and Johnson's indictments? What's the difference between the indictment of Mark Raskin and the indictment of Frank Bardicke? And now we've come to understand very clearly that the forces of hysteria, the forces of reaction in America do not exist just among the kooks of the right. They exist right at the center of our politics. And when Lyndon Johnson and Mark Raskin very reasonable and respectable individuals, you know, Mark Raskin, who used to work on security affairs in the Kennedy administration. He served notice to the Coakleys in this country that the time was at hand to crack down. And what we see in state after state now is a very serious, very selective, and very vicious repression. And the frightening thing is that most of our citizens don't even know what's going on. Most of our citizens are just quietly intimidated by it. I thought Professor Hirsch said something brilliantly honest yesterday when he said, you know, intimidation works when you feel intimidated. And he had to admit that he felt intimidated. And many people will be making that move from this part to that part. Because it's a lot easier to revolt and be free over there than it is over here nowadays. And I think we ought to mock that. And what the government has done is put us all on the spot. And we have got to decide, are we going to allow them to construct their Roman society? Are we going to allow them to make that example stick in Vietnam? And are we going to allow them to make that example stick at home? And I think the time is over when we can just talk about mild debate. You know, I'm carrying a magazine which I just happened to read called Maclean's. It's published in Canada. And it's, I guess, the Life magazine of Canada. Only this week they had an issue on Vietnam and because they're not as intimately involved, they could be more honest. And on page 14, they had a photograph of an American Marine with his foot on the body of a Vietnamese peasant who was in a coma. And that Vietnamese peasant was just lying there and he had his foot on it and he had his hand up with his gun and a trophy shot. And that picture is in this magazine, it sells about a million copies. That man's not going to go to jail. The people who sent them there are not going to go to jail. But someone who attempts to intrude seeing them there will go to jail. And I think the time is at hand when we have to challenge that notion of legality. I don't think we should deny the facts of what happened in Oakland. We should affirm the legitimacy from a moral and political point of view of their having happened. I think we should argue that it is essential that the scent be taken off the campus and to the induction center. A dissent is not the luxury of intellectuals. A dissent is a charade unless it interferes with the society. Unless it stops people from going to Vietnam. Unless it stops the power in the society. And I think that the kind of struggle we have to engage in is precisely the kind of struggle that intrudes. And instead of being intimidated, we have to say that you were forced to arrest these people because they were effective. And we have learned a lesson from it. We are going to shift our tactics more and more to those kind of tactics because they are effective. And were they not effective, you would not throw those people in jail. And I think that's the lesson that has to be learned. And we have to say that dissent cannot be a joke. Dissent cannot be a private matter. That dissent is unimportant in a society unless it forces a society to confront the enormity of its crimes. To consider in a deep sense what it is doing. And if it is true that our society is committed to preventing revolutions in the world, then we have to indicate our solidarity with those people that have resisted. We have to act in the spirit of Ache Che Guevara. Not because we were raised to act in the spirit of Che Guevara, but because the time calls for the spirit of Ache Che Guevara. I say that not because it's easy to sound revolutionary and romantic, you know. Most of us were not born to be revolutionary or romantics. And I think, again, of a person like Mark Raskin, or Coffin, or Spock, these men. Mark Raskin went to work in the White House with McGeorge Bundy because he thought he would bring peace to the world. He signed a complicity statement. He urged people not to go into the army because he knew it was the only step a moral man could take at this time. People do not become Che Guevara's out of choice. They become Che Guevara's when the situation demands that they become Che Guevara's and if they have the personal integrity to meet that demand. And what our society is saying to us at this time is that if your dissent is going to matter at all, you're going to have to break with your lifestyle. And what I would urge is that we begin now to plan the next Stop the Draft Week and that all of us volunteer to be the leaders of that demonstration, not the followers. That we, all of us who have been speaking so long in the teachings and writings, that we step forward at this time and say, we will lead the next Stop the Draft Week, be it professors, be it journalists, or what have you. And I think we have to take seriously the injunction of filling the jails. Not because it's good to be in jail. Not because we want to be martyrs. Not because we believe Washington is just and when they see us in jail they'll change. But because Stop the Draft Weeks must continue because the Oakland Induction Center must be closed down. And if the price of closing it down means you have to go to jail, then you have to go to jail. And the lesson to be drawn from this experience is that Washington is up the ante. They have said that the situation will be serious, that the game of dissent is over, and we are now on the spot. And we are now in the position of having to demonstrate to them that we will not accept their war of example here any more than the Vietnamese people accepted in their own country. And if we act in that spirit, I know that we will win out. And if we don't act in that spirit, and we worry about our own personal happiness and our joy and our own personal liberation, then we have failed not only the people of Vietnam or Cuba, we failed the people of the United States.
0: Before Bob Avakian comes on, I want to announce, first of all, that a little rain never hurt anybody. And second of all, yeah. second of all, that on Monday, a rally held in these steps by the campus friends of AFT will be given to say why it is a strong possibility that this campus will be on strike within three weeks, why the teaching assistants may stop teaching. If you want to find out why this may happen, please come to Monday's rally and listen when they talk. On behalf of Huey Newton and the others, Bob Avakian from the Peace and Freedom Party.
5: People are not leaving because if we're going to be Che Guevara's, we have to get used to at least the rain. So uh, that that goes for even the people under the use of the uh, Student Union. It's really not so bad out here. So you want to come out and join us. Now, I want to tell you first of all, the first thing I want to get out of the way is that the Peace and Freedom Party takes very seriously both the cases of Huey P. Newton and of the Magnificent Seven. (laughs) And we intend to put our full resources behind the defense and the efforts to secure the freedom of both of them because we understand that they're interrelated and we understand that our own activities are interrelated with what they are doing and with the situation that they now find themselves in. Now, as a starter, I would like to say that a number of us in the Peace and Freedom Party are actively working to see that the Peace and Freedom Party convention in March devote a major portion of its time to planning and helping to lay the groundwork for the next stop of the draft week. And if that means that all the people, the hundreds or thousands of people participating in that convention will later be indicted for conspiracy, well, we give less of a damn about that. <laughs> also, we intend, a number of us within the Peace and Freedom Party intend to push for running Huey P. Newton for Congress in this district. We believe that that's a very significant way to raise the issue not only in which Huey Newton's involved, but the entire issue of black liberation and the state that this country's in, where black people are at, and where the racist power structure is at. Now beyond that, I want to go into a question that not too many people have gone into, if anybody here today, and why specifically are these crackdowns occurring? Why is there repression? Now, it seems to me that a fundamental law is that people who are oppressors do not like to show the raw brute force of their oppression if it's unnecessary for them to do so. And these people that run this government in this country are no different than any other oppressor. They would like to have people throughout the world be passive, be pliant, be suppliant, so that it's unnecessary for them. Because when people see brute force manifested, they react against it, the way we have at Stop a Draft Week in the Oakland Induction Center, the way people did at the Dean Rusk reception a few weeks ago, and the way Huey P. Newton did. And you can see that in Vietnam. When the United States goes into Vietnam in the first place or into Latin America, they don't go in immediately with the marines and napalm and fragmentation bombs and all the other horrors that we've come to know. They first go in with the CIA, maybe, with the prostituted professors, with the phony aid programs, the Alliance for Progress or whatever it be, and they try to cajole the people. And if all that fails, and they can't pull the wool over people's eyes, then they resort to brute power. Then the marines come after the special forces, perhaps, and maybe the marines aren't first anymore, but then the marines come, and then all the brute military powers brought into play, you know, as, as things develop. And we see the same kind of thing as has been suggested happening here. It's very important to American imperialism, and I'm sorry if that's sloganeerish, but that's what it is. It's very important to the imperialists in this country to be able to, at the same time, commit the most barbarous crimes imaginable abroad while creating and maintaining the veneer of freedom and democracy here at home. Now, it's been difficult for them to do that in the ghettos because the blatant oppression there has been rather obvious. But among, you know, our students and other middle class people, at least white people in this society, up until very recently, we believed in all that mythology, that we had the you know rights to advocate, we had the rights to organize, the rights to act politically. And it was very important for the power structure to keep that mythology alive. And the reason they're so mad at us... So mad at the people who planned and participated and stopped the draft week, for example, is because we took a step toward exploding that whole mythology. We forced them to bring out the Oakland police, to call up the National Guard and Reserve, and to begin to show the people right here in this privileged sanctuary exactly what the nature of American power is all about. And that's why they're moving against us. Now, see, they had to crack us on the heads, and they didn't like to do that because it didn't look good going out over TV, and people began to ask questions as to why a middle-class lady was a show with a straight over the head and maced. And that began to prick a few people's consciences, and they didn't, the power structure didn't like that at all because people began to ask questions that they're not supposed to ask. And it's important to realize that if we're just interested in peace in the world, if the oppressed of the world want peace, they can have it by paying one price, and that is to submit to oppression. But if they refuse to submit to oppression, then they have to recognize that they're going to have the full force that this power structure can bring to bear brought down upon them. And this is what's beginning to happen to us. Now, they still want to go through, you see, this legal process. They didn't just take Steve Hamilton, Mike Smith, Bardicke, the rest, line him up and shoot him, Because that would have been a little too obvious and it was a little bit too much ahead of their timetable. So what they do is they take this phony court system that they have rigged up, And they indict them on these ridiculous charges. You see, in other words, like not only do they get them for conspiracy, but they get them for a felony rather than just a misdemeanor. In other words, if I walk down the Oakland Induction Center and start disturbing the peace according to their definition, you know, although they're already doing that all over the world, but if I disturb their peace, they can arrest me and charge me with 415 misdemeanor. But if I talk to uh, one of these gentlemen up here about it, and then we go down and do it, then they can charge us with a felony for planning to commit that misdemeanor. And this is just a way of getting around double jeopardy. See, they made a mistake and put in a thing about you couldn't try a person for the same crime twice, so they had to get around that by inventing a felony conspiracy charge, so they could not only try him for the same crime twice, but make one of them a felony. And that's what we see happening now. And what happened at the Oakland Induction Center? Remember, we were down there in front of the thing, and they said in the name of the people, and we said we are the people, and they said no you're not, and clubs came down on our head, and they walked up to us, and they smashed one of us over the head, or like Bob Mandelli, they grabbed his wife, he tried to come to the defense of his wife as any man would, and he's charged with felonious assault on an officer, you see? Now how is that any different than what happened to Huey Newton? cop comes up to Huey Newton, provokes him, as they have been for months when they knew every car that he drove in, when they had his picture all over the you know, the police departments, when in fact the trigger that fired the bullet into Huey Newton was really pulled several hundred years ago. How is that any different? You see, they came up on Huey Newton, tried to kill him, and because he defended himself, now he's charged with murder and assault with intent to commit murder. And it's not only the Oakland Police Department and the way they relate to us and the way they relate to Huey Newton that joins up, at least at this point, the black liberation struggle with the anti-war movement. It's a much broader question. And that question is the question of a fundamental challenge to the power in this society. The Black Liberation Movement poses that challenge. The anti-war movement, the anti-draft movement, as it moves toward resistance, is beginning to pose that challenge. And they are responding the way all blind tyrants respond when their power is challenged, by brute force and by attempting to uh, mitigate that brute force through the veneer of a court apparatus, which we all know is rigged. And I think that we have to look to Germany. We've all been talking about Germany. Well, let's look at Germany. You know, the Jews weren't the first people that got it in Germany, and don't forget that. They went in the trade union movement and smashed that, ripped out all the people they called communists, and then they felt secure to move against the Jews, and they did so, and we all know what happened there. Well, oppression against black people in this society has always been most direct, most brutal, and they've moved first against black people. They moved against Rap Brown, against Leroy Jones, and now against Huey Newton. And it's directly in our interest To link our struggle and our defense to their struggle and their defense. Because if we stand by, as the Jews did in Germany, and I hope this doesn't make me anti-Semitic, and allow the communists, you know, allow the communists to be smashed, if we do the same kind of thing with our black brothers here, then we're going to have no defense. We're going to be depriving ourselves or allowing the power structure to deprive us of an ally. So there is a direct, even in terms of self-interest, there is a direct link between our struggle, both on this level with Huey Newton, and the whole struggle of the anti-war movement and the black liberation movement. It's important to recognize that. And I want to make one last point. There is a direct link between the Oakland Courthouse today at 2 p.m. and our own liberation. Because you liberate yourself not by standing on sprawl steps and talking or by having little informal forums. Liberate yourself by acting every day for your own liberation and for the liberation of other people. We can begin to do that at 2 p.m. today, and I think it's vital that we do so. Because Let me just say this. There's a certain dialectic to this repression that's going on. As I try to suggest, brute force is used by tyrants when they feel challenged. And the very fact that they're moving hard against us, the very fact that they even moved against Dr. Spock, you know, of all people, tells us that they feel challenged, that they, for once, feel on the defensive. And they're coming back at us hard. And I think that what we must do, in contrast to what happened in the 50s, is to mount a massive offensive, to turn our defense into an offense, to push them against the wall, to broaden our movement and to take over the machinery that they're using now to oppress people and use it to liberate all people of the world, including ourselves. Thank you very much. The
0: next speaker is a professor of mathematics at UC, Professor John Kelly.
3: I am John Kelly. Professor Franz Sherman has asked to be associated with the things I have to say. Being a professor, of course, I've got lecture notes. I, What we want to say today, we want to join those who are opposing, who are opposing vigorously. We want to join our friends who oppose this war in Vietnam. The indictments of the Boston Five and the Berkeley Seven show show that many, to many of the people in our government, opposition to the war is a crime. To me, it is not a crime. It's a moral and a, a patriotic necessity. It's, it's also simple common sense. We're spending $30 billion a year in Vietnam the of the people, so we're told. That's about $2,000 a year for each man, woman, and child in Vietnam. I suggest that a more sensible course of action would be to buy each family a a brand new Cadillac (laughs) and give them enough money for gas and oil the price of another Cadillac. Now we could do that with far less money than we've put into Vietnam and I think we might gain the something of the friendship of the people. (laughs) In brief. This military stupidity has simply got to stop. This military stupidity threatens... It threatens the very fabric. It corrodes the fabric of our social life. Second page of lecture notes. <laughs> We're threatened today by a military power. But this is not an alien power. It is a power of the military establishment of this country. We must oppose this threat... For our very lives, I think if we could pursue our present course, we will without question go into a nuclear war, to the last war, to the very twilight of the human race on earth. Today, that twilight seems very, very near to me. Do not go quiet to that good night.